the Talent Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute. And I'm here today with a longtime friend and colleague, Mick Collins from SAP SuccessFactors. Mick, you there? I am, yes. Mick, thanks for joining us today. Super excited to have you join the podcast. And you know, yes, we've been you know, at this game for quite some time. And uh, you know, I'm really interested to see what you know, trends have been in your visibility over the past few years, because I know there's been a lot of shifts. You know, we have uh, Josh Burst contending that we're about to enter a tornado. Uh, some contend we're already in the tornado. Uh, myself and some others have said, well, we'll believe it when we see it, because we've heard about this excitement for, for so long. So if you would, just to give a bit of background on yourself, as well as you know, just my comments, you know, where do you think we are in the space? Well, thanks, Alan. And again, thanks for the opportunity to be part of this conversation today. So I spent about 12 years in the workforce analytics and workforce planning space, uh, initially with CLC, which is part of corporate executive board, uh, and then joint venture partnership called CLC Metrics. Uh, from there, I joined uh, one of the partners, Infor, uh, and spent a number of years there in marketing and consulting. And uh, really, for the last six years, I've been with SAP Success Factors. And uh, whilst I technically sit on the sales side of the house, I run the global pre-sales community for workforce analytics and planning, where I spend most of my time really is uh, with customers or presentations uh, on the topics of workforce analytics and planning, particularly how to, uh, uh, how to make this real, as you talked about. So I think in terms of a, a couple of comments to begin with, um, I would certainly agree with you. There is a, uh, there's an execution gap really between the, the intent of analytics and some of the actions that are being taken. I think you'll find that almost every HR leader wants to be involved in analytics. Everybody believes in the power of data. The question is, what investments are they willing to make to make that a reality? I think that's what uh, you're seeing and I'm seeing as well. But I do believe we're on the cusp of something great. I think there's great pressure now for analytics that we'll have to deliver upon. It's whether HR can uh, move away from some of the uh, more transactional activities they tend to manage uh, and really invest in this capability. Well, fantastic. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we're at this place where there's a lot that can be done. Um, and it just begs the question, to your point, do leaders understand what it's going to take to actually make it happen and bring it about? So from your perspective, you know, those leaders who, quote unquote, get it and those organizations that are doing analytics well, uh, what are some of the commonalities that you're seeing? I mean, what are some of the critical success factors, if you will? I think, firstly, they have a very clear understanding as to what workforce analytics is and what it is not, how it differs from reporting, how it ups the game of HR, and they spend a good amount of time socializing that idea with the rest of business. I think if you think about it in comparison to some of the more mature HR domains like recruiting and performance management, everybody knows what those practices are. In many cases, you just need a better piece of technology. For analytics, often we have to define what will this do for the business and for HR itself. So they have a very clear mission. Secondly, they've invested in the right kinds of people to be able to drive this forward. I imagine it's very hard to ask an HR business partner at 5 o'clock on a Friday night to now go and do some analytics. Instead, I think one of the better firms are doing really well is building a team in many cases, although in some respects it may just be one person, but building a team 
of people with multidisciplinary skills. So data science, communication, understanding of the business, all those skills come together. So they actually are being proactive uh, in building those kinds of teams. And I think the third thing is um, they're focusing on a small number of topics. Uh, we'd love to be able to boil the ocean and look at a range of different talent management topics, but the ones that are successful focus on a small number of issues because those have the greatest likelihood of actually translating into action. They, they do something with that. So whether you're looking at turnover or engagement or productivity or building a workforce plan for the future, if you have a very small focused agenda, you do increase the likelihood that somebody will then actually use the results. Well, I love what you're saying. And, I, you know, again, uh, you know, we've been colleagues for a long time, so it's easy for us to agree. Um, can you help the listeners understand what analytics is and what it is not? And because you mentioned the distinguishing between HR measures reporting and also uh, related to that, are you seeing some key issues or topics that are uh, high priorities for many organizations, whether it be key turnover or key talent retention or fair pay or anything like that? What are you seeing out there? So the, around the definition of the, the is or is not, often analytics gets confused with reporting. And reporting is merely a delivery mechanism for analytics. Now, if you're doing reporting, you're doing transactional list reporting. The goal there is to improve the efficiency. How quickly can I get a piece of data, raw data, to the end user? Analytics is quite different from that. It, it goes beyond the data. It, it gets into testing hypotheses. Uh, you get into building causal models. But really, you're trying to create a story around the piece of analysis versus just pumping out yet another Excel spreadsheet. So for me, analytics goes well beyond what you see in reporting. And ultimately, for me, it's about using data to determine whether the investments we've made in the people are yielding the kinds of outcomes we want to see. Now, hopefully, those are business-driven outcomes, uh, global growth, uh, better cost efficiency, uh, ensuring that your operations run effectively, whatever those, those company strategies might be. You're using analytics to determine to what extent do we have the right kinds of people to deliver on those kinds of outcomes. So I think from my perspective, it's, uh, it's a multi-pronged definition. It's about using data and insights to determine are we getting the results that we want from the people that we're investing in. Um, now, in terms of a couple of topics, yeah, the perennial topic is always flight risk and forecasting turnover. And that's understandable. It's a very visible aspect of the way in which we work. If you see your colleagues leaving the organization, you want to know who's going to be next uh, to be able to, to go and, and be able to better predict that. It's certainly very important and very relevant. On the other side of the talent management spectrum, we have a lot of firms that are looking at recruiting and quality of hire and be able to predict what candidate will best succeed in a given role. And again, that's quite natural. You might expect that because it's a very high volume, highly visible, highly expensive uh, part of the way in which we do business. But I think there's this huge black hole in the middle around learning and career pathing, which is very hard often to run analytics on. It's hard to know what makes the difference in someone's career path or what choice they might make. But I think that's one of the topics that is starting to bubble up now in terms of a need for, for um, a high priority need moving forward. We can't just keep hiring people and we can't just hope they stay. 
we have to have analytics to determine are they actually building the right kind of career with us. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. When we talk about internal mobility and we talk even about the retention challenge, uh, the idea that we have the appropriate data uh, is coming up. In other words, it, it, we want to identify our key talent. You know, are the current measures or the measures that we've historically had in place uh, been accurate and good enough? And similarly, if we're looking at mobility across an enterprise, uh, oftentimes uh, applications or uh, modules like position management uh, need to be in place, or at least they would facilitate uh, that uh, analysis. Where are you coming from in terms of the, how you advise clients? If they don't believe their data is well suited, you know, should they not do analytics or should they give it a go and learn and improve? How do you, would you advise someone who says, oh, we're just not there yet to actually start the work? I think you have to do the latter. I think you have to start somewhere. Nobody's data is perfect. And workforce data is, in my mind, one of the most difficult data sets to manage. It's incredibly subjective. Everyone has different standards for how they define talent around the world. So you do have to start somewhere. And uh, uh, a friend of mine a couple of years ago talked about agile development. You know, we know that from the software business, you, you test, you develop, you continue to iterate. I think it's the same way in workforce analytics. It'd be hard to, from scratch, build an end-to-end -end model that takes into account every single variable and has perfect data. That's just not realistic. But what is possible is to just start to change the conversation by pushing some data out, explaining that it's not perfect data and that it, we won't always see a one-to-one -one correlation, but we're starting to have a conversation. You know, many leaders come to HR and they've been, in the past, they've been given headcount data and that's what they know to ask for. They ask for the latest headcount report. I think HR can start to change that conversation away, away from pure headcount to the balance between FTEs and contingent, for example, or how we're spending our money or other topics that, uh, that analytics can start with. But you have to realize that, yes, the data will never, never be perfect, but that shouldn't stop us from at least starting to push that out and have that conversation. Yeah, and you mentioned something, the data is never going to be perfect, and you know many have come at the challenge of workforce, people, talent analytics from a technology or data-centric mindset. So, okay, just by virtue of the word analytics, it screams data, screams math, it screams uh, you know technology to enable that. Um, however, to your point uh, that you alluded to earlier, leaders have to understand what they want and need up front, and the analysts and the technologists then need to uh, ascertain whether or not they have the requisite data and tools and so forth. So you know, are you seeing more movement, say, among the executive leadership team and certainly the uh, HR leadership team uh, of being more conscious about what questions they're asking and being more planful? So those actually doing the work can hit the mark. Is that something that you're seeing? It is. And uh, I go back to a customer I've worked with for a couple of years here in North America, and we had some conversation about what their goal for analytics was and what they were trying to do. And the director of HR made a very clear point to all the other leaders in the room, which was, we can't keep asking the business what they want. We have to have our own point of view. And it really resonated very well with me, which is, 
we won't always know exactly what the business wants, but we have to go in there with an, an agenda that says, these are your major strategies or your biggest risks or the way in which you make money or the way in which you deliver products and services. And based on those initiatives, here are what we believe are the right kind of metrics or analytics to look at. And ask the leader to say yes or no to a, a proposal versus going in with a blank sheet of paper and saying, what do you want to see? Because in many cases, again, you may come back with, well, we've always got headcount, so why not give us more headcount? So I think HR leaders do have more of a point of view as to uh, what it is they want to see and, and should walk into the room with that idea together. But you also then have to explain this information because leaders today are much more analytically savvy around HR, I believe. Um, I don't think they know all the answers necessarily. Um, MBA programs don't cover human capital analytics in the same way they cover finance analytics, but we're getting better and better. We're becoming more uh, understanding of workforce analytics, but HR still then has to explain how do you join the dots between that headcount measure, that turnover analysis, and what might be happening to that business leader's uh, uh, business unit, for example. That, that storytelling is still very, very important. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, as you mentioned the storytelling, one of the stories that uh, I know leaders want to hear from my experience is, you know, what are the future trends, the, the talent market? You know, is there going to be enough engineers here in uh, Silicon Valley, for example? Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing, and how do you think that's going to affect the way analytics is done in the future? Well, we've just published a survey at SAP Success Factors based on about 65 responses that we collected at an SAP user conference a couple of months ago. Uh, and there were a couple of very interesting topics that, that came up. Firstly, we asked the audience as to what myths do you want to challenge with analytics? I love the idea of myth busting. These ideas, these urban legends that have been around for many years that your leaders cling to and still believe to be true even if the world has moved on since those urban legends were created. And we asked them, you know, what are those myths that you think you want to challenge with analytics? And overwhelmingly, people came back and said, our leaders overstate the importance of compensation on everything, on engagement, on productivity, on retention. Every time we talk about any kind of human capital issue, it always comes back to, can we pay people more? And therefore, we'll see a better outcome. So HR is certainly thinking about, uh, you know, when we look at compensation, what is truly the impact of compensation on employees' behavior, again, their engagement, their productivity, uh, their likelihood to stay. So the workforce myths piece is very interesting, and uh, it was surprising that the majority of the answers coalesced around this topic of compensation. The other big topic that came through in the survey, and I'm happy to provide a copy to anybody who wants to see it, is that uh, one of the major concerns for talent management are employees who are retired on the job. So you have employees who are very likely to stay, they've been with you for a number of years, but in many cases they're not being fully engaged and they're not fully productive. So you have someone who's doing just enough to keep their job and be somewhat productive, but are not necessarily the people that are going to drive the business forward. And it's that kind of, having that kind of visibility, I think is a, is a great way to use analytics. If you think in your own organization, what are those things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis that we have no sense of, uh, whether it's employees that are retired on the job or how much money we actually truly spend 
on contingent labor or that we spend on absence management, for example. So analytics can not only bust some of the myths that your leaders have around the workforce, but I think also provide some visibility to things that may have been flying under the radar, but are either very risky for you in the case of employees that are retired on the job, or maybe very expensive for you in the case of contingent costs or absence management costs. Interesting. And correct me if I'm wrong, as we're going in the future, it might even be the case, taking that example of people who are retired on the job, um, if they have a critical set of skills or relationships, it might be the case where they consciously go part-time and allow budget for someone else to come in or hire, you know, to your point, contingent labor contractors, consultants to do uh, more value-added work. Um, so what I hear is that they're potentially eating up budget. No one currently has visibility into that kind of loss, those lost dollars. And through analytics, if we shed light on it, we can effectively devise a new way for the organization to get work done. Uh, would you say that's a fair statement? I think it is. And it really does feed into where your workforce planning process goes. As a good example of that, I spoke with a utility a few months ago. And they're now looking not only at obviously making sure that everyone has enough power within their homes, but a small part of their business is now focused on building battery stations for electric cars. Uh, it's a different skill set from one they've hired for in the past, but those skills may well be uh, resonant somewhere else in the organization. It may be an employee who's retired on the job for their current role, but has the skill set potentially to easily move from managing you know, a power station, for example, to now helping design the next battery for the electric car. So it moves away from just simple replenishment planning, where you're just simply trying to replace the people are leaving. And you look at workforce planning as being a discontinuous activity. You're starting afresh with a new business, but looking back in the organization to find out where those skills might be. So I think it's, um, it opens up workforce planning. Uh, it probably changes the way in which we look at our employees and our contingent labor and our consultants, for example, um, to really think about what's the next generation of job. What extent do we have those skills today found in employees who may not be suited for the work they're doing or not engaged necessarily, but might jump at the opportunity to move into that discontinuous business? Got it. So you know, I imagine that, yeah, success factors is, I know it's been heavily involved in analytics for a number of years, you know, it acquired Inform, you know, back in 2008, 2009, um, and has been, you know, running as a thought leader and certainly a, a service provider leader um, ever since. Can you share what's new and exciting, you know, over there with uh, the tools that you provide? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I think from a philosophical perspective, first, what we've looked to do over the last couple of years and continue to do is really make analytics available to all. Um, you mentioned Josh Burson, uh, Burson excuse me, at the start of the podcast here, who talks about datafication. Um, I'm a big believer in democratization of data. More people want to get access to data than ever before. And in many cases, slowly but surely, we're seeing opportunities to push data out to the average employee to make them more aware of, of the data they might use to choose their next career, for example. So the success factors, a large part of the investment we've made is to try and democratize data and make it more available to people out on the front lines. So better time, for example, tying together our workforce analytics application back to the rest of the SAP success factors talent suite, 
So you can move quickly from aggregated metrics on one hand, seamlessly through them into individual level profiles where you might actually make a decision or take action. You know, a good example of that might be succession planning. You may use analytics to understand to what extent the succession planning process is working effectively and you're promoting internal candidates versus going outside. But then if I'm in the succession planning manager role, I want to be able to quickly move from the aggregate data into the individual succession plans to see which people may be the best next candidates. So we've invested heavily in bringing that integration, building those links together. That's really the, the first thing I'll say about analytics. The second part of it is, is the storytelling. Um, the average manager doesn't want to see a spreadsheet. They don't want to be bombarded with data. Uh, some of our CHROs have talked about, they just want the simple baseball metrics and a story behind that. So we've developed parts of the application called headlines, which are designed to take the data points themselves and turn them into stories. So you as the manager or as a leader, for example, uh, go onto your iPad, you get access to these headlines that tell you that there's a risk in this area of the business or your high performer turnover is too high compared to the rest of the organization or you should take action on engagement because the latest scores have come in. So headlines is a way to tell that story, make it a bit easier uh, for the organization to consume. And then really the third part of what we're doing is around workforce planning. And at uh, our user conference next week, Success Connect in Las Vegas, we'll be talking a lot about operational headcount workforce planning. You know, we've always believed heavily in long-term strategic workforce planning. You know, we're trying to now align that with shorter-term, manager-driven, budget-focused headcount planning. So the manager gets a much better sense today and moving forward as to the costs they're facing for their teams and what kind of headcount they might need given new jobs that are coming up or changes to the business. So uh, alongside the democratization of analytics, we're also making pretty significant investments in operational headcount workforce planning to help managers uh, more effectively plan for the future. I love it. Love it. Look forward to learning more about that uh, next week in the weeks ahead and uh, at HR Tech, of course, uh, in October in Chicago. Uh, as we begin to wrap up here, you know, many are many CHROs, many organizations view people, talent analytics as among their top two or three priorities. And you and I have been looking at the same research, the same set of priorities for the past you know, 10, 15 years. So you know, of those who have had start and stops, those who are just starting out on the journey, what would be your first, say, one, two, three steps you would take just you know, briefly? Uh, you know, again, many get stuck in the, the data approach and say, hey, we're not there yet. Uh, but you know, how would they get over the hump? What would be your suggestion? Uh, I think, firstly, having a clear view as to what this is, having a team in place uh, or at least one person in place that is dedicated to this is important. But I think overall, organizations that tend to ebb and flow in analytics need to understand there are some immediate risks and challenges they face, but also some of those longer-term risks and challenges. So a good example of that is the people that they hire to do this kind of work. You know, Initially, it is finding the right kind of people creating the organizational structure to allow those people to be successful, giving them the resources they need in order to get analytics off the ground. That's something that good organizations do well initially. But let's then fast forward to 12 months later. If those people or those teams are doing really well with analytics, there's a chance they move off to another project. They can certainly get hired 
by other companies. And if you have an analytic skill set in HR, it's a fantastic time to be in this business because so many companies are looking to hire people with these kinds of skill sets. So you have to be able to, to anticipate what are those early, mid, late stage challenges that we're going to face across the mission, the topics that we look at, the people we work with, the, the end consumers of this information, and try to, if not predict, at least have a sense as to what those different early, mid, and late stage challenges might be. So I think that's a, that's a very important point. I think the second big point for success in this is just to persevere. You know, those organizations that over the years, you know, we, you and I have seen many organizations around the world, the, the Royal Banks of Scotland, for example, uh, Google more recently here in North America, uh, Qantas in Australia, HSBC, the firms that have done this well for a long time really have persevered with this. And we won't get everything right. We won't make, make the, the world change on every single day. But if we can persevere with this, if we can push out good data, if we can tell a good story, retain the team, you know, having that clear plan in place, I think, is, uh, it is very important. So uh, there are some firms that have done a tremendous job with analytics uh, over the years and have persevered. And I think they've done a very good job of anticipating what the problems they face in the first 12 months, 18 months, 24 months might be and put things in place to address those right away. Yeah. And again, couldn't agree more. And inherent in what you're saying is that there are leaders who understand the value proposition and they're not looking for someone to sell them on the idea and say, hey, what's the ROI on this? They have a firm commitment that, hey, if we improve the employee experience, the new hire experience, whatever the case may be, our culture is going to improve, our productivity is going to improve, our financial outcomes are going to improve. And oftentimes they're doing that based on faith, they're doing that based on experience and not necessarily a tangible ROI, although that comes on occasion, well, but it's it's well earned. But it takes someone at an, at an executive level who's going to sponsor the uh, necessary resources to, to your point, make that commitment. You know, again, is that a fair summary of what you were getting at? It is, and uh, I think often executives are looking for the the silver bullet. They're looking for the massive win. Now, how can we? save $100 million through analytics. You know, those opportunities come along once in a blue moon, but there are many more just simple things we, we can look at that truly make a difference. And a good example of that, one of our customers was looking at, uh, you know, the retention of their employees through the first year. And they, they found through their data analysis that if they can keep employees through day 39 of their tenure with the company, they had a very, very good likelihood that that employee would then stay at least for the first year, which uh, in this case for a retail firm uh, is very expensive to keep replacing people that leave in a very short time. So they're looking now, well, what happens in those first 39 days? You know, what happens with onboarding, meeting the manager, training, you know, opportunities to learn? In some respects, you might say, well, that's a, that's a fairly mundane activity. I mean, onboarding is, is onboarding, it's paperwork. But it makes a material difference to this organization if they can onboard people effectively. So I love those kinds of stories where it's not necessarily we're going to save $100 million, but we're going to talk to our leaders about a simple thing like onboarding and show them through data and insights what that means to their organization. And if they're tired of losing employees in the first year, you bet they're going to want to look at their onboarding process to see what they can do differently. So I love the idea of, of sitting down with the leader and telling them a story about something 
they didn't know beforehand, even if it sounds on the surface, something mundane like onboarding. Yeah. Love it. Love the story. Well, yeah, as we wrap up here, any final words, anything that we should look at? I know you said so the next Success Connect uh, next week in Las Vegas. What else is on the horizon for you? Well, last year I joined the board of directors for IRAM, the International HR Information Management Association, and I've been delighted to work with a number of colleagues there. And around workforce analytics in particular, we've been doing some online courses across the course of uh, this year. We're also next month, September 20th and 21st, hosting an event in South San Francisco, coincidentally at SAP Success Actors headquarters, although they're not formally involved in the event. But we're bringing together companies from a range of different industries, including Genentech and SanDisk and Chevron and Kaiser Permanente, as well as some SAP folks, to be able to talk about workforce analytics. So I'm going to be involved in that event. Uh, it's a really exciting opportunity to to bring together people in a small environment. It's not going to be a massive conference. We really like the idea of just having a dialogue between the presenters and the audience. And that's going to be, again, taking place uh, next month. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, we, you can certainly go to um, irem.org and go and learn more about that event. So that's coming up as well. And from that point forward, there'll be lots of things happening in Q4 for, for SAP Success Factors. So I'm sure I'm going to be uh, getting back on a plane very soon. <laughs> well, Mickey, always a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate you sharing your insights and ideas today and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. See you next month at the very least here in San Francisco. Great. Thanks for the opportunity, Al. All right. See you, Mick. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Talent Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. For other podcasts and to learn about upcoming events, please visit talentstrategyinstitute.com.